Uh, back in February, um, Susanna and I took a couple of days off because we were celebrating Susanna's 40th birthday, and we did various things uh, which were, in general, a little more cultured than they would have been if I decided what they were, because Susanna is more cultured than me. And so um, we went uh, one morning to the National Gallery, and we went and we bought these two tickets um, at rather extortionate price to go to see this little sort of exclusive exhibition um, of some paintings. And we went in there, and I looked around all the paintings in six minutes and had finished, and um, Susanna was on uh, painting number two, and there were quite a few more paintings to go. So I said to her, look, darling, you, uh, I'll just give you as long as you like. You uh, spend as long as you like. I'll just uh, head outside. I'll find a nice comfy chair in the, in the National Gallery. I'll sit down. I'll read my paper. I'd be delighted to do that. Take as long as you like. So um, that was fine. It all worked both well, well for both of us. And there I was, sitting in, in the seat uh, in the National Gallery, reading my paper. And uh, suddenly I, was, I looked up, and there was this um, woman that I recognized uh, straight away. I hadn't seen her for over 10 years. Um, but I recognized her straight away, and she um, was someone who, when I used to work at All Souls Langham Place, uh, a church in the West End of London, and I used to run, uh, the, I was the pastor for the midweek services for people who worked in the West End, and she was one of the people that went to one of these lunchtime services, and, and I recognized her straight away, uh, she was a regular there, and uh, particularly because she, she worked at the BBC, uh, she worked at the BBC, and um, she, the BBC was right next door. And I remembered particularly that one year she had won this really special award for the BBC. Uh, she had won the unsung hero of the BBC. Out of all the employees in the entirety of the BBC, she had won this award. And this award, it was presented in uh, this sort of lavish way, in this lavish hotel. Uh, a, a famous celebrity was hosting the whole evening. And as a, uh, sort of for this award that was going to be presented to her, what they did was they produced this little video all about her. And they interviewed loads of different people that worked with her. Uh, and they, they, they interviewed me as well. And that's why I got to see this video. And they did something as well that I'm sure would be totally illegal now. They set up a secret camera in, the, in her office. Um, and for two weeks, they videoed videoed this lady constantly without her knowing, and then sort of got the best bits and showed that on the video as well. Um, but I'll never forget what one person said about her in this video. They said this, without her, this department would sink. Without her, this department would sink. This woman, she was clearly making a difference in her workplace. And that is the kind of comment that I'm sure all of us would love to be said about ourselves. Without her, without him, this department, this team, this company, this organization, this church would sink. And this evening, what I'd love us to do is to think about how we can make a positive difference. Can make a positive difference, not just in our work, but in all of life. And this little Bible passage that we're looking at this evening, I think it shows us something of how we can make a difference in all of life. In fact, how we can make a difference which actually will have repercussions for eternity. So if you like, here are three steps to making a difference for eternity. Step one is this, constant celebrating. Constant celebrating. The picture, if you look at the first verse, the picture in verse 14, it's like, if you like, it's of a Roman general having a triumphal procession after a famous victory. He's sort of parading through the streets of a city. He's celebrating, maybe like sort of Team GB, celebrating on an open-top bus after the Olympics. Uh, Paul writes this, you see. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. So we're reading here, God, God is leading this triumphal procession. He has won the victory, 
And we who are in Christ, we here who are Christians, we are part of this celebratory procession. We don't deserve to be. We're not the ones who've won the victory. Jesus won that victory on the cross, but we are part of the procession. And so our only response, our only response with the Apostle Paul is one of celebration, to say thanks be to God. But actually, I don't know about you, but I find the most striking word in verse 14, that that little word, always. Thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. He always does. He constantly does. In Christ, we are always part of the greatest victory parade ever. Uh, The other day, I was hearing a a man speak who was probably around 60 years old, and he was from up north. He wasn't particularly well-educated, and he'd recently come to faith in Jesus. And as he spoke about it, he said what had happened was this. He was a twin, and his twin brother had died recently after a long illness, and his twin brother had been a Christian. And towards the end of his brother's life, when they were both, both in their maybe their late 50s, Towards the end of his brother's life, as he saw his brother's calmness, as he saw his brother's peace in the face of death, that was what most amazed this guy. And it was actually because of his twin brother and his twin brother and how he coped as he was dying that this guy decided he needed to check out Jesus further for himself. You see, it's so often for so many people, for the person who's not yet a Christian, it's when they see how Christ makes a difference in our lives in the tough times that they are caused to investigate Jesus further. When they see the Christian retain their thankfulness, retain their joy, retain their peace, retain their sense of celebration, even when they're in the midst of difficult circumstances, that is what makes a difference. When you or I when we are constantly celebrating the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us, even in the difficult times. Even in those difficult times. I know amongst us this evening, there'll be people here, and you are going through a difficult time. And almost, I I want this to be an encouragement that actually, it is often in the difficult times that actually God will use us most to make an impact in the lives of others. So that's the sort of first step for making a a difference for eternity. A first step, constant celebrating. Second step is this, controversial smelling. Now, what do I mean by that? Controversial smelling. Let me explain. Have a look at how this, this passage continues. Verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And this aroma, it is a controversial smell. It's a bit like Marmite. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Because this is how he says, verse 16, he says, To the one with a smell of death, so those people perishing. To the other, we are the fragrance of life, those people who are being saved. And you know, it's in those times... When you or I, perhaps we're being marginalized for our faith, even being hated because we're a Christian, when we're being seen by some as the smell of death, it is then particularly when we need to hold on to what it says in verse 15. You see, whatever else other people may think of us, verse 15 is how God thinks of you. 
Just look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, we are to God the aroma of Christ. You and I, we are like a beautiful aroma, a beautiful perfume to God. As he, if you like, as God smells us, He smells Jesus. And we need to hold on to that fact that God delights in us, even if not everybody here on earth delights in us. Then the third step, the third step to making a difference for eternity, in addition to constant celebrating, in addition to controversial smelling, the third step is clear speaking. Clear speaking. You see, being the aroma of Christ, it involves our lives, but also our lips. I wonder if you notice the end of verse 14, it talks about the aroma of the knowledge of God. You see, there must be knowledge about God. God must be spoken about us. It's not just our lives living a good life, but it's also about our lips. Yet so often, we, we can block the aroma for, of Christ. We can block, block, if you like, the wafts of Christ emanating out, emanating out from us. And that can happen. We can block it by living in an unchristlike way. But we can also block it, too, by just never speaking of anything to do with Jesus at all. And more specifically, our lips, they need to point to Jesus accurately. And they need to point to Jesus clearly. Just look at verse 17, would you? He says this. He says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And that word peddle there, it literally means dilute. The original Greek word was the kind of word that was used for wine traders of the day. If you're a dodgy wine dealer in Corinth, then, then, you, then you watered down the wine. You diluted it. And Paul says that is what people are doing with the Word of God. They're watering it down. They're diluting it. They don't say the hard and unpopular things so as to, if you like, make a profit in terms of popularity and positive response. And whether it's you or me giving a talk or a sermon, or whether it's you or me just chatting to a friend or a colleague or whoever it might be, the principle has to be the same, that we must speak words that are consistent with God's Word. We must speak words that are consistent with God's Word. It must be clear speaking. And I'll be totally honest with you, I find that very difficult. I find it one of the most difficult things because I want people to like me. And so if you're anything like me, if you're someone who you want to please people, then the only way you and I are we going to keep having our life and our lips firmly smelling of Jesus. The only way that we are not going to dilute God's word, the only way that we're going to keep clear speaking is if we remember what Paul says in this verse. Because he says, we speak before God. We speak before God. As I am speaking to you now, I'm not just speaking horizontally to you, but I'm also speaking before God. As I speak to a friend of mine down the pub or, or on the phone or whatever it might be, I'm not just speaking to them. I am speaking before God. Wherever I am, wherever you are, we need to be clear speaking. At the moment, we're, um, we're in the middle of the election season. 
And that means at least two people I know of uh, in our congregation, two people uh, who both work for MPs, they have, they've both just lost their jobs, which is rather unfortunate for them. But hopefully, they've lost their jobs temporarily, and uh, that when they campaign for their MP and the re-election of their MP, they'll get their job back again come June the 8th. That's the hope. Uh, and part of the whole sort of campaigning process, as we know, is going round door-to-door canvassing voters. And it's amazing when we think about it. We're in the 21st century, sort of technological age, but it's still recognized that the best campaign strategy, the best marketing strategy, if you like, is to be, to be doing door-to-door, face-to-face contact. There may be plenty of other reasons why Theresa May's not doing those TV debates, but this is what she actually said was the reason why she's not doing the TV debates. I quote Theresa May. She said, we won't be doing television debates. I believe in campaigns where politicians actually get out and about and meet with voters. That's what I've always believed in. It's what I still believe in, and I still do it. As Prime Minister, as constituency MP, I still go out and I knock on doors in my constituency. Now, obviously, Theresa May cannot get out and about so much that she meets with every single voter. And that's why she and all other prospective MPs, they try and get as many volunteers as possible and all their previous staff as well, and they get them to join in with canvassing for them. So these two people in our congregation, over the next few weeks, they're going to be going round in the respective constituencies of the MP that they've been working for. And they're going to be going around representing the MP. They're going to be going door to door. They're going to be canvassing people. They're going to be listening to people. They're going to be responding to people. They're going to be persuading people as to why they should vote for their MP. Now, of course, there are differences. But in many ways, that is the role that God has given each one of us here who is a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the most mind-boggling things about Christianity is God's marketing strategy. Because God says to each one of us, he says, you are my marketing strategy. He says, no big TV debate from me. He says, you are my marketing strategy. You are the means by which my message will spread. You are the main channel for the propagation of the gospel message that can change people's eternal destination. Verse 17 sums it up so clearly. Paul says, we are those sent from God. We are those sent from God. We represent Jesus Christ to others. And we do that best as we constantly celebrate, as we controversially smell, and as we clearly speak. Now, I'm sure for for these two people who work for for MPs in our congregation, I'm sure as they go about this door-to-door canvassing, there are going to be times that they're going to find it difficult. You know, they'll probably get on the conversation with someone door-to-door, and they'll be asked some really tough questions, and they'll be going, I haven't a clue what to say. They'll be going, what on earth do I do here? And it's at that kind of time when it's tough, they're going to be going, I wish that my MP was actually here to represent themselves rather than me having to try and represent them. And there'll be times like that for us as Christians too. And Paul says it in verse 16. He says, he says and who is equal to such a task? He's saying, it is tough. I cannot do this representing Jesus thing. It is tough. Who is equal to such a task? You know, you may be the only Christian in your family. 
You may be the only Christian in your workplace. You may be the only Christian in your circle of friends. And who is equal to such a task of making a difference for eternity amongst all those that we rub shoulders with? Who? In one way, the answer is none of us. None of us. You know, me with all my sin, trying to represent Jesus to others. Fat chance. Me, in my own strength, causing anybody to become a Christian. Fat chance. But here's the big difference. This is the difference. When somebody represents an MP out canvassing, that MP cannot influence the situation when they're not physically present. Yet when you or I, when we represent Jesus... Jesus can be influencing the situation even when he is not physically present. And he can influence that situation by his Spirit. Just look, would you, at the last verse of our passage there. Look at chapter 3 and verse 3 and what Paul writes. He says this. He says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And you know, that verse, that verse can happen in your ministry, amongst your friends, amongst your colleagues, amongst your family. Christ may write with his pen, the Spirit of the living God. Jesus Christ may write with the Spirit on the hearts of some people you know. Jesus Christ may write across their hearts, you are mine. You see, our job, our job is just to represent Jesus. But Jesus' job is to transform people's lives by the power of his Spirit. Jesus transforms others by the Spirit. I think of someone I know who wasn't a Christian. Uh, there was somebody in our congregation uh, who had been looking to represent Jesus to them. Just in their friendship, they were looking to represent Jesus to this guy. And this guy, he had all sorts of, of loads of questions. He was asking loads of questions. Uh, so it was arranged that, that me and him would meet up in the pub about a year ago. And uh, uh, he asked me all sorts of great questions. And I gave him all sorts of not-so-great answers. He asked really difficult questions. I didn't really know how to answer them. He was a great thinker, very philosophical. And, uh, you know, we had a nice drink in the pub, but I went away at the end thinking, well, that was fine, but I don't think that person's going to be becoming a Christian. Wind the clock on a year. Three weeks ago, I received an email from him, and it said this. Hey, Jago, I hope this email finds you well and that things are going great for you at HTC. I know you probably have a ton of people asking for your help, and it's been a while since we had beers at the calf. So in case you don't remember me, I was that guy that asked a bunch of random and slightly loaded questions about God. At the time, I was pretty sure I had the right questions, but realized now that I was so far off base. I don't really know how to structure this email, so here I go. I've chosen to believe in Jesus. Great news, I know. I was and still am very relieved, and yet at the same time a little unsure as it didn't come to me by a single event, but instead from months of thinking and praying and asking. I was wondering if we could meet again. I have a lot of questions, but nobody to ask. See, isn't that amazing? The Spirit of God at work in someone's heart. The Spirit of God writing on his heart. God saying, you are mine. 
You see, here is the reality for you and I. In our own strength, we are not equal to the task of representing Jesus to other people. We are not competent. I certainly am not. But just look on the screen. On the screen is going to come the next verses that Paul writes. After this bit that was printed out, I should have put the next verses on, but I didn't. But these are the next verses. Paul continues. He says, Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, he's saying to each of us, he's saying, stop worrying about your competence. Stop worrying, thinking, you know, I'm not intelligent enough to represent Jesus to so-and-so. I'm not morally or spiritually sorted enough to represent Jesus to so-and-so. You know, I'm not hipster enough to represent Jesus to so-and-so. I'm certainly not that. Uh, All of those are the kind of things that I think. But they're wrong thoughts. Because our competence comes not from ourselves. But our competence comes from God as His Spirit works in us. So stop worrying about the power of your intellect or the power of your holiness, or the power of your image. And start looking instead at the power of God's Spirit and God's Word. Because if you or I, if we are trusting in Jesus Christ, then you represent Jesus to others. Jesus transforms others by His Spirit. And Jesus makes each of us competent by that same Spirit. So this coming week, can I encourage each one of us here to be unsung heroes? That woman at the BBC, she was an unsung hero. It was noticed by her colleagues as she constantly celebrated. She said, thanks be to God, as she controversially smelled the aroma of Christ, as she spoke clearly. As a Christian, this lady, she knew that she represented Jesus to others, those in the BBC. And though she wasn't some sort of super brain, and though she wasn't some sort of super trendy BBC employee, she knew that she had been made competent to represent Jesus Christ by the work of His Spirit in her. And so she often used to, in, in her weakness, she often used to ask people along, colleagues of hers, to the lunchtime service that I used to pastor. She often used to, if you like, she used to sort of see where the Holy Spirit was at work in someone. Maybe she'd just seen that uh, someone uh, had asked her and was interested in the fact that she was a Christian. Or she'd seen that somebody was just going through a personal struggle at that time. Or, or, or she knew that there was a question that they'd asked her, or whatever it might have been. And she'd get in behind what the Holy Spirit was doing in that person. And she'd often just ask them along to the lunchtime service. And I wonder this coming week, here's the challenge for us. I wonder this coming week, if each of us who are followers of Jesus Christ here, if we might do the same. You know, next Sunday... Is Tri Church Sunday. Leads into Alpha the following Tuesday. Can you be brave? Can you be bold? Can you have kingdom courage? Can I have kingdom courage? Who do you think? Who do I think God might be at work in by His Spirit? Who do we just think that might possibly be the case? 
And would you get in behind what God is doing in that person by his spirit? And would you invite that person, in your weakness, invite that person along to next Sunday's Tri-Church Sunday? Would you do that as you look to represent Jesus to them this coming week?